one, and we are rolling. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible, with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast. Man, that guy's got a sexy voice. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jerry. We have on the show with us today, Jerry Turand, and I'm so pleased because she's my dear friend and we haven't spoken a great long time, so I'm so happy to have you on the show. Um, so every now and then I bring somebody on who is not a veteran, but she is the former spouse of an RCMP member. So it's it fits, so don't give me a hard time. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Jerry has a lifetime of courses, uh, personal development courses, and being a teacher and facilitator. She is an unlimited love coach, author, speaker, transformational workshop leader, founder of the Living from the Heart Center, and a tri-low-therapy practitioner. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's so great to reconnect with you. It is so good. I'm really looking forward to this. Hundred percent. Well, I, I'm glad that you made the time, and I got so many questions for you after the show because I'm starting a starting a coaching business. I've been nice. been sort of pushed into it, and I'm doing it. So I can't wait to tell you all about that, um, and learning from you, who's been doing it forever. So let's roll back the clock. Let's go to the way back machine. Way back before you started doing all of this, uh, all these courses and all the spiritual stuff, you were married to an RCMP mother member. I was, yeah. He was with the RCMP for twenty three years. That's a that's a long time. Yeah, definitely uh, went through an awful lot together. And yourself, you were a teacher, and you taught in some. Very interesting places, um, most importantly, or more specifically, rather, Baffin Island and Lutzel K. Should we start there? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I taught for a few years in the Edmonton area and then decided to venture up north and see what what I could find there. And wow, it was definitely an eye-opener for me. So... Um, yeah, it was like some of the, I call it the best and the worst years of my life. So incredible learning and growth opportunities. I really did discover my resiliency and who I really am. And uh, yeah, my my husband at the time was a single member in on Baffin Island in Kimroot. And, and I was his backup. <laughs> So yeah, when things went down, things got pretty dicey. Um, you know, we had, we'd have to call in people from a Callaway if we wanted backup, and otherwise, yeah, he was basically he took me out and showed me how to use a handgun, and uh, and there was some pretty traumatic things that that went down. Um, you know, lots of uh, there's lots of fetal alcohol syndrome up north, so that was a that was quite an eye opener for me and some. 
some pretty hefty abuse that that I witnessed, uh, domestic violence, and there's also such beautiful souls that were like I, you know, I'm completely still connected to their to their culture and their language, and and so welcoming. And yeah, so it was like the best and the worst of these, you know, two worlds. So lots lots happened. Um, my my husband at the time went through a, a really traumatic incident with with a really close close friend of his that he became incredibly close with. He'd really never left the north. Um, actually committing suicide and and my husband being the only member had to pick up all the pieces and basically wasn't even offered any kind of support afterwards so just just go about your day and continue as if nothing happened right yeah and the rcp so, has a long way to go in that department still to this day he's yeah he still suffers with with some ptsd for sure and we did do some counseling together I uh, had to take like a year off teaching after Let's Okay and I just kind of substitute taught for a little bit because I was still, I felt like, I guess I was still in shock <laughs> with some of the stuff that I witnessed and, and what went on. So yeah, I haven't thought about this for a while. I'm like, I can. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. That's what I do. You know, but yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm so, so grateful for the tools that I've developed since then. And, um, what was yeah, the beginning like, of that whole path of like, what were some of the first tools or courses that you took? Oh, let's see. Well, um, well really when we, we got back down South, um, we came as a compassionate transfer because my father was dying. And so that was another big thing <laughs> that, that was going on in my life. And so I really did start to question like, who am I? Why am I here? What's this all about? And looking for the deeper meaning in my life and embarked on a pretty hefty personal development journey. So, um, so the, well, probably the most profound tools that really helped me the most, like was discovering Ho'oponopono, which is all about forgiveness, realizing that I really was carrying a lot of baggage and I needed to forgive myself. Know, for believing there was something wrong with me, for believing that I wasn't good enough. And so that, you know, that, that work was very transformational, like self-love practices and forgiveness practices. And I really had no idea what that was. But because of all the trauma and things that happened in my life, I, yeah, I pretty much a few years after returning south, I had what I call my breakdown breakthrough, where I was diagnosed with lupus with mitral valve prolapse, with, um, you know, with thyroid issues, <laughs> like serious thyroid issues. And so I had a full mental breakdown, physical breakdown, and emotional breakdown. Lots of anxiety attacks in and out of the hospital for about three years. And, uh, and I really think a lot of it was just all the heaviness that I was carrying and kind of repressing not wanting to look at, not wanting to deal with, not knowing how to, because it's not like it's something that's taught in the school system. And I know that firsthand, that emotional intelligence and how to deal with, with trauma and how to love ourselves and forgive ourselves is, is a, you know, a missing piece. And so I needed to learn that firsthand and I did. <laughs> so, so yeah, by the third year, I had pretty much tried everything 
in my breakdown stage and um, gone to every doctor you can imagine, both naturopathic and traditional doctors. And of course, nobody had any answers other than medication, right? Or take these anti-anxiety, maybe you're depressed. I'm like, I'm not depressed. Like it's something else. And I knew that. And so what, uh, when I finally just kind of surrendered and realized that, wow, you know, peace comes from surrender and really starting to understand that whole piece of what that means to just surrender and let go of my stuff. And then, and how do I do that? Because it didn't feel like anyone was equipped to help me with that. And so I figured it out and I kept getting this message to love myself. And I thought, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> like love myself. Yeah, because to me, it was just self-care back then, right? Like, okay, I, I'm, I'm juicing like crazy. I'm, I'm exercising. I'm doing everything I can to, to get over this pain and to move myself forward because I had three daughters that were watching and that was really my motivation to heal myself and to start to look at some of those emotional that emotional baggage that were that I was carrying in the cells of my body in my organs and systems that were actually starting to shut down and yeah I'll tell you that stuff works so that's actually I really do believe that sometimes we find our purpose in our pain that was definitely me so that is why I became a self-love and forgiveness coach and what it led into is this unlimited love coaching because, man, I had no idea what was on the other side of forgiveness. And it just unleashes this, this beauty and this appreciation and, and the ability to really be at peace with whatever presents itself. And it also helped that I studied with a Zen master. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I've heard often, and it's... Um when we do our peer support groups, I, I've covered this topic a few times, and it's so interesting to, to see how unbelievably difficult forgiveness is for people, both for themselves, to forgive themselves, and to forgive others. And I think there's a few different reasons for it. One of them is sometimes people are trapped in the victim mentality, and they won't, they just won't leave it. It's just, uh, it's a familiar space that's warm and comfortable for them, and they and they just love to be miserable. And, well <laughs> and, and and that's that's where they're going to be. They victimhood is a status, and it's a status that makes them feel special, and they don't want to leave it. And if somebody's there, I can't help them. You can't help them. Nobody can help them until they're until they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. What do you <laughs> think are some of the uh, barriers to forgiving yourself and forgiving others? Why is it so damn hard? <laughs> well, I think you you summed it up quite well, actually, because uh, honestly, we're we're addicted to our suffering. It's our comfort zone. It's what's familiar. It's what we're used to. It's often what we grew up with. And um, and we'll do anything to get back to that set point, those habits and the, the habits of our, of our emotion that we're most used to. And so often it is like a space of, of worry and anxiety that we kind of live in and we'll do anything to get back there just because it's familiar. It's um, so definitely the resistance to forgiving ourselves has to do with our attachment to to our suffering and even even addiction like you know when we drink when we smoke when we we're not actually addicted to the alcohol we're not actually addicted to the cigarettes we're addicted to the suffering we're addicted to the very thing that we're repressing and refusing to look at because it's painful it's bloody painful right this healing process is a process 
it's a painful process because as you are willing to feel and heal, remembering that what you're feeling, you're healing. Mm. It And when, as it comes up into our consciousness and up out of the cells of our body, it comes up with the same emotions that it was locked in with, right? So there's, there's a lot of pain on the way out, but it does come up to leave. So really important to, um, to be willing to look at it and to have somebody, somebody that can assist, that can hold space and just really love you through that process. Um, yeah, and definitely a lot of resistance to forgiving others because we feel like we were wronged by them. And so a lot of people have this idea of forgiveness that it's saying that what they did was okay. It's like, well, I'm never going to forgive them because they hurt me. They hurt my family, whatever it is, right? And what they're not understanding is that forgiveness is about freeing yourself. And so by not forgiving, we're basically insisting or refusing to heal. We're refusing to heal ourselves. And then really, we're no good to our families. We're no good to anyone else. We're staying in victims. So we're continuing to be the victim, you know, saying that, yeah, I, I am still their victim as long as you refuse to forgive, which just means that, you know, it's, it, you're just cutting that cord, that energetic cord between you and the traumatic event. Maybe it's a person that you associate with that. Maybe it's just an event, right? But by not cutting that cord, by refusing to forgive for whatever went down, we are, it's like we have this energy drain. And so every time we think about that person or that situation, we feel drained. We feel exhausted. We feel heavy. And we actually are preventing ourselves from moving forward. We're insisting on staying stuck. And, you know, because that's kind of what's comfortable and thinking that the other person's paying for it. But really, who's the one that's paying for the hatred in our hearts, for the anger that we carry? Like, let me tell you, Physically, we're going to pay some pretty large prices for carrying that. Um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like it is, it is the very thing that just that keeps us in victim and from rising in our lives to the next level of consciousness, from taking the lessons and the learning that are available on the other side of forgiveness. Hanging. So what I like to yeah, sorry. Yeah, what I like to remind people is just that it's not that you're not saying what you did is okay. You're basically saying, I forgive you for for forgetting who you are in that moment, right? For, for acting out of unconsciousness. Because we all do that at some time in our we life, do. right? Either conscious or unconscious. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, though. I don't know who uh, the quote comes from, and often people give credit for quotes to five different people for the same quote. But um, one that resonates and it's applicable here is bitterness is like hanging on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die and not forgiving because you think you're letting somebody else off the hook. No, you ding dong. You're letting yourself off the hook. You're, you're stopping punishing yourself and it doesn't punish the other person. They don't give a shit what you think, you know, or, or, or that you're mad at them. Stop bothering them. 
you know, it's, it's I haven't given it a second thought. No. And so it's kind of like road rage. You start screaming at somebody and flapping your arms, but the other person is just do, 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 driving down the street. And they have no idea that they even cut you off. Not a schmick. And their day is fine. And you are raging for the next hour. It's, it, it's not helpful. It doesn't, it doesn't help anything. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like that one that, uh, yeah, I've heard of, you know, revenge and is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, anger, grievances, all that, right. You're the one that's hurting yourself by carrying that. And it's, there's some pretty high prices to pay and it can kill you. The high prices and, and, and you're, and you mean literally not figuratively. It's, um, the stories I've heard of people because of, uh, stress and anxiety, people have been paralyzed, yeah. freaking paralyzed, can't move their legs. And the root of it was stress and anxiety, paralyzed cancer. Yeah. Because the, the, the depression lowers your immune system, it lowers your ability to fight off anything, and people have got and died of cancer because of trauma. Now, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, you and I both have had mitral valve surgery. We share that. So uh, do you think that that could be that stress and trauma can even affect the biomechanics of your heart? I believe that 100%. <laughs> so I actually didn't have surgery. Um, so I was diagnosed with minor mitral valve prolapse back in 2009. And I've had uh, ultrasound and gone to my cardiologist within the last couple of years. And he says my, ma- my valve is fine now. Hmm. Um, so through a lot of meditation, a lot of forgiveness work, and literally every single day connecting with my heart and the beating of my heart and feeling grateful for its strength and its resiliency and its unconditional love. And so for a year, every single day, to heal myself of, of lupus and this mitral valve prolapse, I, I would just say to my heart and say to the different parts of me that were hollering for my attention with pain and anguish, I would say, I love you. I'm listening. And just breathe and every single night. And I'd meditate on perfect health every single night and visualize my heart healing and opening. And to me, it was almost like the ultimate neglect of my feelings because I really, I wasn't wanting to look at the pain. I wasn't wanting to look at this woundedness that I had, that I was carrying in me. And so it was like hollering, right? And it, yeah, it showed up physically, like very physically. So that was, that was a pretty major, major wake up call. And I do feel like, there's definitely, you know, the mind, the body, the spirit, they're all linked, which is really what the trilotherapy training I took opened my eyes to as well. Well, we'll get there in just a moment. I'm just um, contemplating. I know it's tough for a lot of people to, to think that emotional dis-ease can uh, translate it to something biomechanical like a, a heart valve. It's tough for me to grasp. Yet, when you look at the timeline, uh, before I joined the Army, I was uh, the prolapse was diagnosed, but it was mild, and I was told not to worry about it. But after the Army and, and after the war, um, it was severe. And uh, now, of course, because I had it since I was like 
eight. I never worried about it, but um, when I was being uh, accepted into the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, which I denied at the last second, but uh, as I was going through that and they're doing the medical and they're like, well, yeah, this mitral valve prolapse is heart murmuring. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just did five years in the freaking infantry. You know, the RCMP, these these guys, this is not hard for me. And uh, by comparison. And uh, and he looked at me like, I don't think you get it. Get what, dude? Yeah, well, you got to worry about sudden disease or sudden death and heart disease. Like, I'd be surprised if you're alive five years from now. This is what we're talking about. I was like, oh, yeah, this has to be dealt with like now. And I'm like, oh, shit. So in 1999, I uh, was flown to Toronto, had open uh, open heart surgery, got all stitched up. And uh, the emotions after that, I believe that you think with more than your brain. I think you you're, that your heart actually is a legit emotional center and you feel things with your heart. I was crying because I was looking at the color of the grass and the sky and I was brushing my teeth and crying and I'd see a little kid walking and I'd, and I'd be crying, you know, because um, my, my heart was actually pulled out of my chest, worked on and shoved back in and stitched up. and um it took a while before i could sort myself out emotionally on that but i i really believe that and now uh, all these years later because that was 1999 now i go for a follow-up and just last year and they're listening they're like uh i don't hear shit your heart's perfect how is this even possible right it's like, well, maybe I'm a little less broken today than I was in 1999. Right. Well, you it opened you right up, didn't it? Like literally, figuratively, <laughs> so go, go, everything. Go, 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 and that go. is the cure. That is the remedy. And it's the very thing that we, we try and avoid through our addictive tendencies, right? That The actual thing that will cure us. And, yeah, like... Just seeing the beauty, I love the way you describe that. How amazing! Like the just the, the colors, and that's what love is, right? It's actually the recognition of beauty. If you want to know an experience of love and how to reside in that vibration of love, that is way more than an emotion, right? And it requires an open heart, and that's the last thing we want to do when we we when we have this need for certainty and safety, right? Love Especially is more than an emotion. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't think of love as an emotion. I think of it more of it as a frequency or vibration. So every day when I get up in the morning, I just open my arms and I just say, I am in love with all that I see before me. Use me as a vessel of love and light that I may serve on the highest level. And, and then I raise my vibration to a frequency of love. So you can be in love without needing anyone else to participate. Be in a vibration of love, in a frequency of love, which is the highest frequency and is the ultimate protection and the ultimate safety because it's pure, it's pure presence. It's a higher level of awareness. Completely, yeah. So that's what, you know, that's what, it's, what I've realized through all the forgiveness work. And I literally do forgiveness work using the tool of Ho'oponopono Every single day. It's like running in the background, just this constant cleaning and clearing. I think of it as decluttering, right? Decluttering mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. 
And then what's left is this is love and appreciation, right? It's, it's amazing. Like life just, like you said, just becomes so much more colorful. April 16th of last year, I quit drinking. And uh, I, I poured what was left of the beer down the sink. And it was actually mushrooms that helped me do it. Yay, mushrooms! And, um, uh, and what they showed me is, or what my subconscious showed me, I don't know, somebody showed me, is that mm-hmm. drinking lowers your vibration. And when your vibration lowers, low vibration things come to you. You can call them demons. You can call them whatever you want. Um, but that's why there's bar fights. That's why um, depression and alcohol go hand in glove. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll just quit drinking. And it wasn't a huge problem, but it was actually starting to get on its way to a problem. It was getting way too frequent. And I went, oh, wait a second. That snuck right up on me. You fucker. I'm going to beat this before it gets really bad. And uh, it was hard to stop. But... um, lowering the vibration lowering the frequency it makes sense to me and and also uh, they say that alcohol if you have cancer it's like throwing fi- uh, gas on a fire if you have alcohol and you have cancer so don't drink if you got cancer it's a bad idea you know you're yeah, not for sugar like no. yeah it feeds cancer cells absolutely yeah well I, and maybe that's why it's that low vibration that 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 lets in or enables disease which is Low vibration stuff, low frequency yeah. stuff is disease, and disease right. is low frequency stuff, both ways. Exactly. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's amazing that Thanks. you did that, and I'm, yeah, I'm glad that the mushrooms could catalyze that for you. They're pretty cool. I've I've actually had a really really tough uh, go over the last few weeks, and I meant to have a microdose, and it ended up having a little bit extra kick. And knocked me out for six hours, but uh, woke up. I was like, "Hey, I feel pretty good," and uh, and it's lifted the cloud. So I got to do that more regularly. Um, trilotherapy. What in the blink is trilotherapy, Jerry? All right. Well, the the tri is um, the three parts, three aspects of ourselves: body, mind, and spirit, and. Mm-hmm. So trilotherapy is basically um, getting them all lined up because we, almost everyone lives with a huge inner conflict between our head and our heart or our mind and our emotions, our thoughts and our emotions are, we want, they want different things. You know, our, our head is more about keeping us safe and secure and has, you know, the need to be healthy, the need to be respected and um, important, right, significant, and the need to be safe and secure, like financially and in every other way. And our heart wants to live, wants to express love, giving and receiving love and creating and having fun. And so their, their goals are quite different, and they're often very conflicted. And so trilotherapy, that's the first thing we work at, is balancing and bringing them together. So bringing our heart and our head back into alignment so that they can actually work together to move us forward. Um, Because they're like little inner kids that are battling. So in trilotherapy, which was developed by a Zen Buddhist master that I studied with starting in 2011, and I'm still in touch with him. In fact, he's going to be doing some Zoom sessions um, 
in April. So, so jump on that and ask me for more information later. Roger that. Because <laughs> that's totally accessible to everyone and, and a great deal, great opportunity. So, um, so yeah, he talks about how the head and the heart are our inner children, the masculine and the feminine. Um, and, and they're usually running the show in our lives and battling it out like two siblings that just don't get along. And then we wonder why we're exhausted every day. Yeah, because we're basically, because the head and the heart know, have competing needs. <laughs> Conflicting needs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, it becomes really exhausting. And then there's, it, they need a parent. Right, they're like our two inner children, our our son and our daughter, who aren't getting along, and the head just keeps locking the heart up to keep her safe, especially if there's been trauma, right? Especially there's a history of trauma and pain and hurt. It's like, no, just stay safe, just stay safe, and the heart longs to live, and eventually it can start to look like um, suicide threats. You know, it can get really bad. So disease to get that attention because maybe that's the only time that the head will let the heart take some time off work, or the only time that the heart gets some attention and some love, right? So, so it'll manifest illness and disease, um, even suicide attempts. And actually, it's not about wanting to die. It's actually about wanting to live. Like, I want to live, but I can't live with such a controlling head, right? It's constantly, like, barking orders and trying to keep me safe. So, um, so it needs a parent. And so trilotherapy is really a path to enlightenment or path to awakening, awakening the parent like where have you been look at your inner children did you know this was going on in your inner environment in your inner home and how bad it was and often the parents like well yeah I kind of knew they were out of control but but I didn't know what to do about it so the parent is the kind of the awareness or the watcher of your of your thoughts the one the one that's aware of your thoughts the one that's aware of your emotions the observer the witness um you know and and usually that's all it's doing is just witnessing the chaos and feeling kind of helpless and thinking, wow, my life is out of control. And what, what trilotherapy starts to do is introduce the idea that, that the parent, that only one of them can be in the driver's seat at a time. And it actually needs to be the parent in the driver's seat so that the kids can feel safe and just play at life and enjoy life. Otherwise, life becomes really heavy, really dark, really serious if the head's the one that's in charge most of the time. But if the parent arrives, comes back home to yourself, starts to observe and witness, and then actually starts to speak to the head and the heart and interact and take charge and realizing, so move it. We want to move the, the true self, the witness, into a more active role. You know, it's about mastering the mind and mastering the emotions and unconditionally loving and witnessing what's going on and then actually taking an active role, right? Some, some Zen discipline. <laughs> like, no, not right now. That's not what's in the highest. And, and that's the key is an active role. One of my mantras that I keep saying at group and uh, is that healing is an activity, not an event. It doesn't just happen one day. You have to happen every day. Yeah. Yeah, you have to participate. And, you know, and then, and then I do forgiveness process. It's like an internal mediation process. So it's like your inner family looking after that. And incredibly, whatever's happening outside you is going to reflect what's actually happening inside, inside right? So it's an inside-out healing. The outside heals when you heal the inside. When you look at the inside and the conflict, you'll, you'll realize 
that, geez, my own kids, my own son and daughter kind of mimic my head and my heart. My spouse looks a lot like my head or my heart, right? And, and you'll start to see that really you're the common denominator that's kind of creating and attracting everything to the vibration that you're putting out, the frequencies of your head and your heart and where are they residing and where are they comfortable and what's familiar to them. And then we need to upgrade that, up-level that. So I help people to move from victim consciousness to responsible and then to surrendered. I mean, there's like four different levels. And staying in victim and insisting on, you know, staying kind of stuck in that familiar space, I mean, is, is the lowest level that prevents you from fulfillment. What are some of the biggest barriers to growth, to growth and recovery from your perspective? Ah, biggest barriers to growth and recovery are... Our karmic imprints, our belief systems. So, um, so that's the other thing that trilotherapy starts to uncover is these our conditioning, our we we call it karmic imprints. What we're imprinted with around the most important ones are around ourselves. So, right? our, our self. Otherwise stated, our paradigms. Our paradigms, our belief systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you believe about yourself? You know, that I'm never good enough, um, that I'm not important, because if that is your core belief that you decided to adopt from a very young age when you were kind of pushed away or shushed or whatever that looked like or sent to your room, then, you know, a child doesn't have the discerning mind yet. They're very heart-led to say, like, you know, that... What, that, what does that mean? And so automatically it's, to a child, love is attention. So if we're not getting the attention for whatever reason, whether it's because we have an, like maybe an alcoholic parent, maybe we um, have a busy parent, right, whatever that looks like, uh, then we feel like we're not loved, we're not lovable, we feel like we're not important, and we keep carrying that. And then in every relationship we'll keep attracting that because, you know, you attract what needs to be healed. And you'll, you'll attract someone that's going to trigger that wound and trigger that wound until finally you're willing to look at the wound, take the Band-Aid off, clean it out, look at it, no matter how painful it is, and heal it so that it doesn't keep attracting the same pattern over and over of someone who doesn't pay enough attention to you. The same negative right? feedback loop. And you yeah. hear it again and again. Yeah. People say, why do I keep picking a narcissist to be with? Or why do I keep, you know, and pick a category. But uh, people right. say, I keep picking the same kind of person and making the same mistakes because he didn't learn. Right. That's yeah. why. So around, yeah, our imprints, our beliefs about love, our beliefs about relationship, our beliefs about men and women, our beliefs about, um, about money are huge. Money and food are really big ones. And then just life itself. Like life is what? Fill in the blank. Well, life is life a is course, isn't it? <laughs> See, is it, seems, it seems like an endurance course. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, and so that, and that will, that's your story. Yeah. That's your belief. And so that will be your experience. It's an obstacle, right? an like, endurance, endurance based obstacle course. That's what it is. There you go. Well, then, you know, when are you going to be tired enough to get off that course and maybe upgrade to something a little bit, <laughs> a little lighter, a little freer? Okay. A little more uh, fun. Then life is a raft on the river on a perfect day. 
There you go, going with the flow. Going with the flow. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, Yeah, so trilotherapy, there's a mantra that really helps to upgrade all of your karmic imprints all at once. So you want to hear it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, so the first phrase is life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Yeah, and our hearts really need our heads to learn to say that and learn to look for the beauty in life rather than to focus on what's missing, but what do we have, right? So that's really, it's all about, it's the vibration of gratitude, right? And appreciation. What you appreciate, appreciates, and you attract more to appreciate. So life is beautiful. takes care of a lot right there. The second one is it's meant to be fun. Or even, sometimes we have to just start with it's okay to have fun. So if our heads have been in charge our whole life, especially if we've had a lot of trauma in our past, then we really have to give ourselves permission to have fun once in a while. And our heart will be so happy. So this starts to reconnect and realign the head and the heart together. When we say that mantra and we live it and we look for opportunities to have fun, we look for the beauty. And then finally, the third one is is coming from the parent. The third one is everything is all right. So in trilotherapy, there's two magical phrases that help you kind of, that bring you back to the present moment where everything is all right. So the first sentence is, um, okay, hang on, now I have to think. Yeah, okay, in this moment, everything is all right. Second sentence, it's always this moment. So really, if you're not in excruciating pain, if you don't have huge hunger pains, if you don't have to go to the bathroom, in this moment, when we actually arrive right here, right now in this moment, all that the traumas of the past don't exist. The worries and anxiety of the future doesn't exist. All that exists is this moment, and in this moment, everything is all right. And it's always this moment. And so our head and our heart, our inner children, need the parent to remind them. I'm here. You know, everything is all right. So no matter what's going on, just those three phrases, life is beautiful. It's okay to enjoy. Everything is all right. Starts to just reset and realign our body, mind, and spirit. So many people, myself absolutely included, um, struggle with giving themselves self-care, with with, uh, being nice to themselves and doing stuff that they like because it feels selfish to do it. (laughs) What do you have to say to the ding-dongs like me that feel selfish because you're having a nice time? Mm. (laughs) Well, you know, on the airplane, who do you put the oxygen mask on first? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You need to put it on yourself first. Otherwise, you're no good to anybody else. So really, self-care has to come first. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to be depleted. And then you become a drain on everyone else as well. Oh, I don't want to be a drain. That sucks. (laughs) Right? You're going to suffer more. You're going to be more short, you know, and um, with people more easily triggered. So that that self-care and filling yourself up first with with love. Like I always think we have kind of a love cup and a hurt cup. And and whichever one is full is the one that's going to empty when we're triggered, right? (laughs) So it's going to determine our response or our reaction when something happens that we don't prefer. 
So if our if we haven't taken the time to really nourish our bodies, nourish our minds, nourish our spirit with a self-care routine that actually you have to honor all of them, not just your head wants you to exercise all the time, but your heart needs some, you know, some playfulness, some poetry, some painting, some music, some dance. And your center needs some meditation and needs some time just plugging in and and working on developing a deeper relationship with life itself so that you can actually start to trust life instead of think you're just some sort of a pawn of life or that life is happening to you, right? So needing to um, touch on all aspects, the mental, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual in your self-care routine, very key. And to look at which one, which one you neglect most of the time because it's going to start hollering for your attention in some maybe not so great ways, right? <laughs> Jerry, we're at 41 minutes. Can you believe that? Holy. Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a fastball question. Ooh, one that you're not expecting, but it should, shouldn't be too bad. When we have a friend who is in need, uh, somebody is having a speed wobble, as I say, uh, what are the top three do's and the top three don'ts of peer support? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> top three do's and top three don'ts when someone is in need. All right. Don't jump in and tell them what to do. Yes. <laughs> Nobody likes being told what to do or being coached without permission, unless they asked, right? <laughs> so, so definitely don't do that. <laughs> Oh, you're going to make me do three of each. Let's see. Well, it doesn't have to be three, but whatever whatever <laughs> works for you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah, and I mean, do learn what it means to hold space. Do listen. So deep listening is very, very important. And most people have no clue how to listen. True story. Right. We're, we're either listening to agree and then jump in, oh, yeah, me too, me too, and make it about us. Or we're listening to disagree. Oh, no, 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 look for that point that to argue with and make it about us. Both of them come from a need to be right and a need to be significant. And then we're not, that's not support. That's not help, right? We're not serving. So what we need to learn how to do is actually hold space or do that instead of agree with or disagree with listening, like be with. So being present with that person, which to me, the simplest way to teach that is just or to instruct someone to hold space for another is deepen and slow your breath. And that's what you meet them with. And that's what you listen with, with full presence, eye contact, deepen and slow your breath and avoid the need to agree or disagree. It's irrelevant. Right? So really holding space. It seems that the enemy there is the number one human emotional need, which is affirmation. And affirmation can work against you because you have this need for affirmation. And when somebody is telling you what their issues are and you're like, oh, I got a solution, I got a solution, or I've got a story I can relay, uh, your need for affirmation is engaging your need to be right and your need to make a point. Because if you can make a point and that point is accepted, you just got affirmed. Exactly. But it's not about you. She shut your pie hole. Right. I it's call it the need for significance to be unique yes. and special. And yeah, yeah. and it, it, yeah, it can definitely work against us. 
So yeah, do listen. Don't just jump in and start coaching and tell them what to do. Do be honest with them if you're not in a space to be able to hold space. And, you know, and make sure that they know you're important to me. And right now I'm, I'm just really not available. I'm elsewhere and I want to. So can we, can we, you know, schedule a time when you actually do have some spaciousness that you can be available, right? Um, so I think some people, they try and be only half there and, and then you're, you're not helping, right? They're actually, they're going to feel that you can feel, even if you're just on the phone, you can feel if someone is multitasking, <laughs> right? So be honest if you're not available when your friend, friends reach out and, <laughs> and if you, or, and if you don't feel equipped, so have a list of resources, like, you know, can you refer them to someone else if you're feeling like, okay, this isn't my my game. I really don't feel equipped to be able to assist you. Like, move your pride out of the way and be willing to admit it and maybe <laughs> refer them to somebody else, right? So if somebody would like to practice some self-love by treating themselves to some wonderful trilotherapy, unlimited love coaching, how do they get a hold of you, Jerry Turand? <laughs> oh, there's lots of ways. <laughs> so uh, Living from Heart Center is my, my meetup group where I post to different events. So, and we, you know, we've been doing Miracle Monday calls just by donation. You can jump in on any of those. You can find me on Facebook. Living from Heart Center on Facebook, Living from Heart Center on Instagram. <laughs> uh, I think I'm even on LinkedIn, but probably Jerry Turan. So my, yeah, and uh, and my website, livingfromheartcenter.com. And center is spelled C-E-N-T-E-R. A lot of people put R-E, but, <laughs> but right. it's really actually living from the center of your heart, from the space of infinite love, more than an allocation of like outside of you. So, so yeah, and living from heart center at gmail.com, you can email me. All right. And in the notes on this Facebook Live, I will have wherever I can put stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll try to put some links to you. Um, and Jerry, of course, when you share the show on, on your different channels, uh, people will have it as the FAQ and this will be rebroadcast on all of my podcast channels, uh, probably sometime the second week of April is, is when, uh, I'm booked out to, and that is where I will have all the show notes to get a hold of Jerry Turand. Jerry, my dear friend, thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, pleasure. when I do it on the uh, the Facebook Live, soon as soon as we're done, I'm like, oh, she's gone. So we can always chat after. But you are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Let's do that outro. See how it sounds. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.